Welcome back to episode 9 of the Service Design Podcast. I'm David Morgan from Night Moves and together with Stina van Hof and in collaboration with the Service Design Network, we have conversations about service design with practitioners from around the globe. Today, we're speaking with Sanne Kistemakers, who founded the service design company Musis with her sister Nele. She also teaches at Industrial Design Engineering at the Delft University of Technology. Sana is a true pioneer when it comes to design research for user-centered design. Listen to her interesting stories about 10 years of running an agency. that uh, we have uh, Sana on our podcast because we actually know each other. Um, she used to be my uh, teacher at uh, Industrial Design uh, in Delft. And after I graduated, I also, uh, I also worked for a while at uh, Sana's uh, design studio, Muses. So I'm very happy that we can, uh, we can talk to each other through this uh, podcast because I really learned a lot during uh, this period. Um, for example, uh, really focusing on people and the fact that design is really about people and how we can uh, incorporate this into the, into the process. And I know that this is something uh, that Sano also really values. So I would really love to talk about that during uh, this uh, episode. Yeah, nice. Summer. Yes, can you um, introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, of course. Uh, my name is Sanne Kistemaker. Um, I'm the co-founder of uh, design agency Muses. We um, started around 10 years ago um, and we do many different service design uh, projects for uh, really uh, varied clients, so both commercial and social projects. And besides that, mm -hmm. I'm also an external teacher at the TU Delft for almost 10 years. Um, yeah, and that's one day a week. Yes, nice. It's uh, great to uh, combine those uh, uh, different things, I think. Just teaching one day yeah. and then uh, having your own studio also for the students. Yeah, yeah. And that's really uh, valuable. <laughs> but yeah, both sides. So it's uh, good for the uh, students to hear practical information about the design practice but also the other way around to apply things I learned from the students and also more theory-based uh, techniques into the design practice at Muses. Yes. And can you explain us a little bit more uh, about the courses you are teaching at the TUDEL? Yeah, well, I, I did a lot of uh, different things, but I think the most important uh, courses that I teach at the moment um, is an elective about context mapping. Uh, it's called context mapping skills, um, and what we do there is that we um, uh, we uh, search for five clients, so five companies, and we uh, form five student groups. And these student groups they, they um, uh, perform a context mapping study, a full context mapping study for uh, a certain company. And uh, so the students learn about the context mapping techniques and all the different steps. And the clients, they also get acquainted with context mapping and uh, the value of the uh, different insights that it provides. Um, and that's for uh, one semester. So we uh, teach that every week. 
Um, and the other course that I uh, that I do is exploring interactions, and in that it's a, that's a design uh, course in a master for master students. Um, and what they uh, learn there is how to design um, in terms of interaction. So you you think about the user group and what do you want them to experience and designing for an interaction. So it's more like form follows interaction, and that's I think a really nice course to uh, to teach. Do you find that your your teaching practice also uh, affects the way you you have your design practice, your company? Yeah, it, I think it, it goes both ways. So um, I think my design practice influences the way I teach and what I learn from students, but also um, um, what I learn about theories at the university, it also influences the way I do projects at Muses. So I think it's really beneficial uh, in both ways. Mm -hmm. And I think yes. another uh, uh, important thing to mention is that um, a lot of my good students, <laughs> they um, mm -hmm. also become interns at Muses, which I think is really nice. That's a big advantage. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, then you have like a whole course to uh, get to know them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a long... Instead of just interview yeah <laughs> it's a long job interview <laughs> yes <laughs> yes i'm actually I, i remember i also took the uh, course uh, the elective course context mapping yeah i felt really inspired by that course and i'm pretty sure that not a, all of our listeners know uh, what this uh, technique is about mm -hmm. uh, can you introduce us a little bit to this technique the context mapping you mean Yes. Yeah, of course. It's a design research method. Um, and actually, it's also in the name. So it's mapping the context. And what this technique does is that it um, it doesn't only focus on uh, the subject that you want to research, but it also focuses on the context around it. And what we believe um, uh, here at Muses, but also um, at the university, is that There's a lot of relevant information if you're talking about customer uh, experiences in the surrounding context that influences the way people behave or the way people experience certain things. So it's really relevant to make people aware of um, this uh, side experience in, in the context, but also um, to know if they have a certain experience, what it comes from, where it comes from. So, for example, if you focus on, um, if you want to design a, a shaving um, machine, is it called machine? Um, Yeah, a shaver. <laughs> Then it might be more interesting to look at the entire bathroom experience and not only at the shaving experience, because then you will exclude a lot, uh, which might uh, be of great influence. And you might also miss opportunities for design that are more in the uh, context factors. Um, Then, if you only look at shaving, because then you will only come up with a new um, new shaving product. <laughs> on, a, on a very practical level, how, how do you uh, 
map this context? So, for instance, in the example of the, the bathroom? Yeah, so what, um, what we do is we start uh, with making a clear research focus. So if it's uh, this bathroom example, then you start with shaving, but then also all the surrounding um, uh, context factors. So what do we, do we think is of influences uh, in this uh, context? And then uh, we create research material, and it exists of two parts. So the first part is something like um, a diary or a sensitizing uh, package that people uh, receive one week before the interview or a session, it depends on, on uh, what we choose. Um, and then in that, they step by step, they become aware or they're made aware of uh, everything that they, that they experience and that they find important. So, for example, by mapping out their entire day and then saying what's positive and negative or mapping out their personal network and see who's close to them or who's a bit further away. And then in the interview, we're really going to dive deep into the topic. So, but then they're prepared for the questions we're going to ask them. So that's how we uh, how we set up a research, and uh, with that, so by using generative techniques and letting people uh, associate uh, through different um, topics or different pictures and words we provide them. Um, well, they they also for themselves they dig uh, deeper into a different level. So it's a it's more like latent knowledge that they uh, might might not be explicit to them as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I really liked about this context mapping method that often people are saying, yeah, but users, they don't really know what they want. They cannot really tell you what they want in an interview. But with this technique, you let them already uh, also think about it for a whole week yeah. or sometimes even longer so that they also really... Uh, become aware of their their own experiences yeah yeah and and also i think uh, uh if people say well customers don't know what they want i also think that's not the right question so we never ask people what do you want uh, but we ask mm -hmm. people um what do you do or and how do you how do you experience that and then we draw mm -hmm. the conclusion so what would be a good uh, solution for them so what would they want or what would they need for example so I think that's also a difference. And in many interviews, people do ask explicit questions. But if you ask really explicit questions, you also get explicit answers. So I think that's, the, that's, mm -hmm. that's also the difference, that it's more, uh, in context mapping, you ask more indirect questions. And it's more about uh, what people do, what people did, what people fear, what they love, uh, what, what motivates them. And then you draw the conclusions as a designer. Yes, yeah, nice. And um, another thing I really liked about this technique is how it is a really visual uh, technique. So the different tools, they are really uh, visual, like you ask people to make mood boards or you uh, let them fill in the booklet where they really draw their own uh, day. And I think that uh, has different purposes, like also communicating the results afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I also found that really, uh, really valuable. Yeah, I think that's also uh, an important part of the, the research technique. So also not, not only the, the filling in the booklet, because I think that's really nice, but also, for example, asking people to make photos of their own context. And sometimes it's not only the photo that, that's really giving you insight, but it's really handy and uh, valuable to communicate what you found. Uh, to your clients 
and we, and we really noticed that people get really enthusiastic about the uh, the booklets, the filled in booklets, the photos people make, uh, all these uh, visual outcomes. So it really helps communicating the insights. Has uh, the way you do context mapping changed over time? Doing this for a while. Yeah. yeah, it has uh, definitely changed and that has to do with two things. I think it has to do with our uh, growing experience. So we also noticed that some things doesn't, uh, didn't work that well or it just takes too much time and uh, clients won't um, afford it. Um, but also uh, because our projects did change so we are now working with um, many user groups that are harder to interview so uh, for example we did a project with um, uh, let me how to explain this in English people who um, uh, get their salary from the government uh, because they're unemployed um, and so these are uh, some many of those people are uh, didn't uh, speak Dutch or couldn't write or uh, couldn't read or some people were handicapped and then it's really difficult to um, uh, to do uh, the census of to, to let them fill in a sensitizing booklet so we also adjusted our materials to the, the more difficult to uh, interview user groups um, so I think that's really nice because then you learn a lot and also you learn about what really works or what is um, necessary to let people uh, talk about their emotions and their experience and what maybe you can leave out. So that, yeah, that has taught us a lot. Can you give an example of, of something else you did with different uh, user groups? Uh, yeah. yeah, for example, we um, did a project for homeless people in The Hague. Um, and we wanted to research uh, because they, they were causing a lot of nuisance. Uh, in the, the neighbors complained about them. Um, and so it was a group of around 40 to 45 uh, uh, Hindu men. Um, and what we did is because uh, many of them uh, couldn't speak the language and a lot of them couldn't write. Um, so what we did, we, we asked them, so what do you really love? Uh, what is your passion? And uh, a few said, we really like to cook from our own culture. And the other uh, half said, we are really proud of our neighborhood. So what we did is we uh, cooked a meal together. And then if you, if you think about generative techniques, um, it's creating something and then talking about it. Um, so also if you cook a meal, you're also creating something. So you have different conversations uh, while you're creating. So uh, cooking the meal together and then asking questions about their past and about the process of becoming homeless and uh, you know the, the, what, what they thought about uh, themselves and causing nuisance and uh, uh, the neighbors complaining. They were more uh, eager to share uh, their experiences with us. And the other thing is that we asked them to, to give a tour through the neighborhood and pinpoint what they were proud of and what they did where. And that really worked well. So it was a different way of applying context mapping, uh, far more practical, but it really worked. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sparking my curiosity as well. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering like, well, what concrete things did you, did you learn out of this project? What did you advise? The, well, who, who was the client? The was, municipality of The Hague was the client. Um, and do you mean uh, the insights or do you mean uh, what did we learn according to the technique? 
uh, know uh, really the insights about the the project about those homeless uh, people. I'm curious what what advice in the end. Well. We had uh, we had uh, two main insights that we thought was really were really interesting, and the one was if you uh, what they all said is um, if you don't take care of your personal hygiene within less than a week, you lose your identity, and if you lose your identity, um, you also don't care whether you caused uh, trouble on the street or whether you uh, people complain about you. So I thought that was really interesting. And the, the uh, interesting thing here was also that um, some of the uh, co-workers who were also the social workers, um, they also said the same because they, uh, to uh, gain empathy for their, this user group, they also lived in, on the street for two weeks. And they said, within four days, I lost my identity or uh, my sense of identity. And that we thought was really interesting to work with. Um, so what we, uh, for example, designed, and it was together with the Design Academy in Eindhoven. Uh, so what the students designed for this is that they, um, and another, a, a second insight was that um, people wanted to donate, but they found it really hard that uh, they, for example, gave two euros and then they saw these uh, people buying beer uh, out of their two euros. Um, so the, we, we uh, combined these two insights, um, and what uh, it, it was like a vending machine, what we designed. Um, and then there were personal hygiene uh, elements in it. So, for example, toothpaste, a toothbrush, um, a clean underwear, um, a cloth to clean your face and hands, and uh, all kinds of stuff. And you could donate, and then the vending uh, machine would open the different um, um, parts. So, for example, if you had uh, a meeting with what what they gave as, as an example is that they had a meeting with the, uh, one of their children and they just wanted to freshen up a bit. So, um, um, brush their teeth, clean their face, stuff like that. Yeah. So there were more That's more ideas, idea. but um, this was uh, one of the one of the concepts that the students uh, came up with. Yeah, I yes. think a very clear example of something that you would never come up with just sitting uh, behind a desk. No, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's interesting that it comes from like uh, two insights from like two different user groups in this case, but then when you combine them, you can see the the solution that will help uh, will help them both. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. I also think so. Okay. Um, we already uh, talked a little bit about uh, Muses, uh, your company. Can you explain us like a little bit more what you what you are doing there? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. What is like? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, Muses started as a user center design agency, um, and I started it together with my sister. Uh, which also explains the name. Uh, Muses means muse and my sister. Um, and actually, uh, nowadays we shifted towards service design um, because, um, well, many of our clients, they're service-oriented uh, companies and um, service design is also a bit more uh, scoped, so it's easier to explain what you do. Um, and well, at the moment we are um, 
working um, in actually two directions. So one, um, uh, well, we've got many projects in the uh, social design uh, area. So then uh, you have to think of, um, we, we work for the municipality of uh, Rotterdam uh, quite a lot, and that's for uh, difficult uh, to reach target groups or difficult to um, uh, support target groups. Um, and then we design services, different services uh, for them. Um, and on the other hand, we are working on more commercial projects. So, for example, um, creating a, a shop formula for um, a garden, um, a, a, several garden shops. And then we're designing uh, gardening services or uh, they also have an animal department. So we're designing animal services. So it's, a, it's quite a lot of variation. And at the moment, or recently, we also have uh, several product design um, projects. But that's, And we just hired a, a product designer. So that's a good co coincidence. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of different things at the moment. Yeah, you name them as like two different directions. Is that because there is a difference in the, in the process or... Uh, is it like commercial or governmental projects? Is there a big difference in the, the projects and the methods here? Well, not, not so much the process and the methods, but it is a big difference in the outcome and, and also the way mm -hmm. we communicate the outcome. So the, um, the social design uh, projects, the, the emphasis is more on the uh, customer insights. So they really uh, need all those customer insights also for um, internally to um, explain to everyone what the, um, who this user group is. And for the commercial project, it's more as a, a means to come up with new um, uh, propositions and then uh, to validate mm -hmm. a business model. So it's, it's a little bit different in the outcome, especially in the, the, the last phase of the project we see a big difference. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, the uh, research methods and the design methods we use are the same. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So I can imagine you know, doing research like this, uh, hundreds or thousands of insights come out. Yeah. Of this. Uh, how, how do you go about keeping track of these and deciding which, which are important, which are less important? Yeah, that's a, I think that's a, an important question. And it's also... Uh, difficult but I think over the years we uh, became more focused so at the beginning we uh, make a very clear focus document of uh, what the goal of the project is um, so and we also make a clear research uh, scope so what do we want to know and and what doesn't um, fit this focus so uh, this this side catch that we uh, call it is uh, very interesting, and we also uh, present it to the uh, to the clients because it's also very much um, or very often an opportunity to start a new project because then you find something that's really interesting and you might want to also research that. Um, but yeah, I think it's that that's the that's the uh, basic thing that we set a very clear focus. And the other thing is that we um, that we visualize or communicate the insights in um, several tools. So far, it, it depends on the project. But what we do um, very often is that we um, 
make a new way of segmenting the uh, the uh, use group based on the insights, and that we together decide for who are we going to design? Are we going to design for the whole uh, range? of people or needs actually in this user group or are we going to choose a certain area of the of these segments and these segments they are uh, uh, differentiated by um, by their needs so by the customer insights so for example different motivations or uh, different drivers that they have and that's how we create groups of yeah you can call it groups clusters of needs mm-hmm. So that, yeah, so that's and and also a means in which we uh, or that we use a lot is and you are certainly familiar with that is customer journeys, and then we also pinpoint like where where do we see opportunities, and then it's easier to say this is what we're going to design for. So for us, the bridging the research to the design phase that's the most important step actually, because then you decide so what do we take. Uh, from the insights that is uh, worthwhile designing for. But if you have just this large pile of insights and data, uh, then you can't decide that. So you need uh, an in-between step to decide, like, okay, where where are the opportunities to design for? Mm -hmm. But does it then mean that all the assignments you do, uh, you first do a research phase and then only... After you finished it and you uh, have all the insights, you can decide on the next step with your client, like what are you going to design and what your next next project will be, or do you, yeah, how how do the what kind of assignments do you then get from the client? Yeah, it, th that depends. So sometimes it's more focused already. So uh, for example, we now have. Uh, uh, one assignment in which we're designing a new website, so it's, it is going to be a new website. Uh, so then it's th mm -hmm. that, that's easier because then it's also easier to uh, focus in your research. But we're also um, doing an assignment now where we uh, design uh, a service to help people who are unemployed and who uh, get their uh, salary from the uh, from the government. Um, to make it easier for them to work part-time from uh, this position. So that's really broad, mm -hmm. and it, this service can be anything. So in that case, we first do the research, and then we pinpoint the opportunities, and then together with the client, we decide what we are going to design and what would be best for mm -hmm. the municipality, but also what would be best for um, the user group. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's a really valuable way of uh, designing things yeah. instead of uh, the, the clients already saying what they want. Yeah. Often we, we discover then during the project things that, that that was actually not what we had to design. Yeah. And then yeah, it's important to be, have the like, space to, uh, to move the project into a certain uh, direction. Yeah, it, I think it might, my personal preference is definitely to keep it open in the beginning. But uh, yeah, for some clients, it's just not doable. And, and sometimes mm -hmm. it's also, they already uh, know what they need. And then um, the research is more um, to uh, explore within this uh, yeah, more focused scope, I think, uh, to see what kind of nuances you should uh, or nuances you should uh, give the, the product. So it really depends on mm -hmm. on the client and the project. But it, of course, the best projects are the most open ones. Mm 
because you've got the most freedom. Yes. Yeah. I think that's where service design shines as well, yeah. when, when people don't really know what they want. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we can help uncover that. Yeah, and also in the very complex uh, projects. So sometimes projects are so complex, and especially if you talk about these uh, social uh, pro uh, projects, then there are so many people involved and there are so many issues that play a role. And, and I think then it's also really nice to keep it open to see, um, for example, in, in that example that I gave from the homeless man, the municipality also didn't know what the problem was. So, and I think in, in this case, it's really nice to keep it open so you can, uh, you can have the best solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, Do you then also, because what we then often find is that we come up with uh, ideas, but they do have to fit the organization, like what they can do. Yeah. Like if you come up with a solution, then yeah, the companies you work for, they have already a certain expertise. It kind of has to, uh, you still have to find something that they are able yeah. to uh, uh, bring one step further. Yeah, that's true. Is that something? Yeah. yeah, so that's why in during the process we work together with the uh, clients a lot. So we incorporate different co-creation steps and sometimes it really slows mm -hmm. the process down. But on the other hand, it's investing in the, uh, in the end result because if they believe in the end result and, and you already know that it fits the organization, it will also make it more successful in the end. Yes, then they become also uh, defenders of your yeah. <laughs> your ideas. Yeah, I remember uh, we did one project uh, for Buurkrecht yeah. when I was working yeah. uh, at Mises, and I remember the moment where we were cutting uh, quotes with the clients yeah. uh, from users and really let them dive into the data and uh, discover insights. Yeah, and. I thought that was really valuable because in this way you make the conclusions together and they really uh, yeah, bring the conclusions uh, in, into the whole organization and uh, they fight for the, for the users. Yeah, and it, this, is, this also relates back to the previous question about how do you uh, bring focus in the insights. This is also quite a good way to do that because then they can also uh, bring focus into, into the research insights. So they, from their perspective, can say, you know, what, what do we think is valuable for our organization or what, where do we see opportunities in what, in what uh, customer insights? Yeah. No. Um, talking about uh, co-creation, um, What, what for you, uh, you've been doing this for a long time now, uh, turns out to be the ingredients for a real successful co-creation? <laughs> well, um, I think, well, for me, co-creation, I think you have a few different forms. So it depends on what the goal of your co-creation is. I think co-creating in research works really well. Uh, co-creation in design I th I'm less of a believer, so but we do it a lot. Um, but then it's more um, to um, but to create uh, a common understanding or to create um, uh, awareness for for new opportunities uh, within the organization, or to also show that users are also. Uh, in favor or that, that they also really like uh, certain directions. So it's 
we have different goals with uh, co-creation, but the actual output, it's, I'm not such a believer of co-creation and then with the best outcomes uh, in terms of design, I mean. So in terms of uh, research, I definitely believe that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about co-creation in design, are you then thinking of, uh, for instance, internal stakeholders of your clients or really the end target audience involving them in, in the design? Yeah, yeah, we do both. Um, but I think with in, in both cases, um, uh, people who are not trained as a designer, I think it's quite difficult um, for them to come up with um, new ideas. Um, but um, we do use it a lot uh, because it really helps in um, getting them on your side and uh, seeing what they uh, find valuable or what, what they are working on in their organization. So it also shows you the scope of opportunities. Um, so what we normally do is we start with the co-creation. Uh, so we already have some uh, design directions and then we start with the co-creation uh, session in which we um, combine internal stakeholders and uh, end users. And we see what they come up with in these uh, uh, defined directions. And then we start designing. But then they already have an idea of what we're going to uh, design. And um, yeah, it's not it's not about the best ideas, but it is more about uh, getting everyone on the same page. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I recognize that as well. Uh, one value I do see myself is this: if you yeah, have designers in a workshop with with end uh, users, and the designers also do designing within a workshop like yeah. that, but they can be con continually informed by yeah. the uh, end users, get feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I consider that co-creation yeah. as well. And that I, I do find successful. Yeah, that's true. That, that really works. And I think it's also inspiring to, um, to get feedback from, for example, end users that, that they find that a very good idea. So in that case, it really yeah. uh, it really works. And then in co-creation sessions, we also work together with uh, people, uh, uh, visual designers, so people who can draw uh, the ideas immediately. Uh, so we also use a lot of uh, uh, different disciplines to come um, and to create good ideas and good outcome. And I think the whole visual outcome of these sessions it also really works internally to show what what they have been doing. So also in a, uh, a, in a communication way, I think it really works. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. How do you take it then one step further if you get designs out of your workshop that you co-created, but that are not really uh, the best solutions yet, but you did learn a lot from your users? Yeah. How do you then take it to the next step? <laughs> we first cry for an hour. <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> no, kidding. Um, well, um, what we often do is that in the designs, we um, we seek the essence. So we uh, see, so what is, what is the quality of this uh, design idea? And uh, how is it related to uh, the, the consumer insights? Um, and then we see, like, what do we do? We want to use some of this idea, or do we um, neglect this idea? So we make a, a pretty good select selection of uh, ideas and the 
uh, yeah, the essence and the qualities of it. And then we combine things or we leave things out or we continue with one idea if it's a good idea. So that really depends mm -hmm. on um, on the outcome. But we, yeah, we, we mm -hmm. just select the best parts of the different designs. Yes. And we create a Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. A co-created Frankenstein. Yeah. And often happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we also do that selection often with people um, from the company, so internal stakeholders. So not to only make the selection. And then if we agree that, that, that this is the idea or concept that we're uh, continuing with, then we start designing again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you even use the design workshops as uh, research insights, actually, to uh, continue your design. Process. Yeah, but on a different level then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How would you like to see Muses evolve over the next years? Um, well, <laughs> this is we. Um, it's, it's quite busy at the moment, so we. Um, um, we doubled our team almost now. So we uh, we were with uh, five, and we are now with uh, ten people. Um, so we, I was just talking to my sister about this. Like, wh where do we stop, or or don't we stop? <laughs> so <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a strategy mess at the moment. We really have to uh, to think about it. But what we've always find mo found more important is that we do the projects that we like. And so the projects are still becoming more interesting. They're becoming uh, larger. So they're becoming, it, it's a, we start earlier and we um, also implement the services. Um, so at the moment, we, we think everything we do is really interesting. So um, I really like the shift from, um, we, we used to also stop after research, but now we, we uh, really um, also design all the services. So I really like the, sh the shift from doing research to doing research and uh, design services. And now it's shifting from um, these two phases into implementing the services as well. So I think this is a, we really like the way it, it um, evolves. So at the moment we're uh, just going ahead. Um, but yeah, I, I, we really have to think about where we want to be in 10 years. <laughs> so it's a good question. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of people do you now have at Muses? What kind of uh, profiles? Is it all designers or are there some uh, yeah. people with different skills? No, it's all designers. Um, but if you, we now have a mix of um, more uh, product-oriented designers and more research-oriented designers and more marketing-oriented designers. So, and this is also the mm -hmm. skills that we now need in our projects. Um, but I think soon we'll also need some other profiles like um, uh, someone who, who can do PR for us and uh, someone who can mm -hmm. uh, do the finan financial uh, <laughs> Uh, issues <laughs> for us. Um, really interesting. Yeah, and what? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but what we uh, uh, what we notice is that uh, um, the different disciplines is we uh, do that with partnerships. I don't know if you also uh, uh, do that, but we have quite some projects mm -hmm. together with yes. other companies who have different profiles or are from different disciplines. And I think that works really well. So that's, and we also learn mm -hmm. a lot from each other. 
So that's how we uh, mm-hmm. incorporate, uh, for example, psychology or uh, strategy and um, uh, identity design. Or um, we also work together with um, uh, change consultancies, so um, organizational mm-hmm. change. Uh, yeah, and, and I think that, that works really well. Mm-hmm. And uh, how how do you ensure that when you work with different partners that it still feels like you are one design team? Um, how do we ensure that it it's kind of just goes as the way it, the way it is? But um, well, mostly we do the design part. So the uh, but also the uh, I mean the visual design. So and then we agree mm-hmm. on uh, on a style beforehand, and then we yeah we've got we um, we are quite clear in who do, does what um, activities within the process. So it needs to be um, um, complementary because otherwise it's it's really difficult to work together. So uh, mostly we are in the uh, first phase of the. Pro- uh, project and then um, so for example we do one project for clinic clowns I don't know if you if you know it but yeah <laughs> and uh, we work together with a company who um, are specialized in uh, branding and identity design and strategy so um, we do the first part of the research and they help us and support us in doing the research then uh, and then together we uh, design different design directions and then they uh, design the different strategies and different identities. So that's how we divide the tasks, and that works really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, you were saying, uh, yeah, the, the, you had, had to grow uh, recently because there's uh, a lot of uh, projects to yeah. do. Is that uh, a, change, a change in the market um, that there's much more questions for this kind of work, or is it simply? Uh, you are doing it in a successful way and they choose uh, muses instead of... Yeah, I think it's both. I think um, because um, I I don't know if you also noticed the the, uh, financial crisis, but we did. So there were less projects and uh, uh, well, less opportunities for uh, for work. Um, So that's growing at the moment. So I think that's one part. But what the difference also is now is that we are... Uh, projects are more extensive so they're more elaborate so we have better uh, visual outcomes that communicate really well so um, what we notice is that by the outcomes of one project people really like to start a new project so I think if you're only doing a research then it's also different because then it's harder to explain uh, the outcomes and what you did so I think it's it's these two trends that really help mm-hmm. uh, uh, the growth. Yeah, you also said that Muses started as a user-centered design agency and you're now so uh, focusing on uh, service yeah. design. How did you see that uh, evolving throughout the years? Uh, the rise of service? Yeah, I think it's also, it's a, it's a growing... Uh, um, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's it's uh, changing in the design field because when we started 10 years ago, service design was really unknown. Uh, it was unknown to us, but it was also unknown to our clients and um, well, user-centered design as well, but at least you could explain it through uh, research. 
So what we also notice now is that the uh, the market or these uh, the, the companies we work for, they have better knowledge of what service design is and what context mapping is and what user insights have and uh, of uh, what what uh, user insights bring. Uh, they have departments of uh, customer experience, customer insight. They have customer insight specialists now. So it's it's really much easier also to talk to them. Um, and what we notice now is that if you explain user-centered design, it doesn't say that much. But service design, they understand what you do also. And we also notice that... Um, it's also there. There are more service-oriented companies that uh, want to do projects like this. So uh, I think also the um, um, if you design a product, it's less um, it's less common yet to uh, do that from uh, user insights. But in services, it's more logical because you work with humans. Uh, and it's a human-humor interaction often. So you really need to understand these uh, users also. Mm -hmm. I uh, actually wanted to uh, tell a small story that something I remember <laughs> from uh, when I was working. Oh, I'm curious. And I would also <laughs> like, to, like to share with our listeners. Um, I remember we were asking people a question uh, it was in a project about uh, saving energy in your house. And we asked them what their guilty pleasure yeah. was. And I, I found that a really good uh, question because it really showed how uh, people were and the way they were explaining it. It was uh, really, uh, really insightful to get to know those people. Like I remember there was this one guy who was really uh, into... Uh, saving energy in his whole house like he had solar panels he was uh replacing all his lights but then he also had this really old car that he couldn't give <laughs> yeah. up and he felt kind of guilty uh, <laughs> about this car and the way he was talking about it it, it really uh, stuck into my mind that uh, yeah. how how this person was and I remember. I just remember this question. I think we should also uh, use it a lot more in, uh, in our. Yeah, projects. I think that was really. That's a really good example, and uh, and I think we asked the questions, the guilty pleasure, uh, to answer it by means of photos, right? Yeah, yes. and that also yeah, exactly. yeah, that also really works. So we had all these uh, images of uh, old cars. Uh, what what else did we have? Like re and sauna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also these really green people and then they had a sauna in their home yeah <laughs> like they were saving on their on their heating in the yeah, house yeah. like a lot and then they also had the sauna yeah yeah that's true yeah. and i think this also led us to the um to the insight that um that everyone has his own personal energy balance or makes his own personal energy balance so on the one hand you yeah. you really want to save energy but on the other hand it also allows you to do some things that you know are really bad for the environment. So, for example, I take the train every morning so I can shower a bit longer. Or uh, my house yeah. is fully energy neutral so I can drive this car. So, so that was yeah. interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, and everyone had them, even the people who were not really busy with uh, saving energy yeah. and the ones who were really... Uh, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that was a very... And, and I think the nice, nice thing of this is that the energy company we were working for um, had the idea if people are really into saving energy and, for example, they have an energy neutral home, uh, then they will also drive an electric car. But the funny thing is that that isn't true. So that we uh, so that assumption isn't tr isn't true. And they were also working on services to um, uh, yeah to provide people with uh, electric cars, for example. But that that doesn't make sense because people have different reasons for saving energy and also different balances. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That was really nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a few more questions about. Um uh, university uh, where you yeah. teach. Um, there's a kind of some quite some uh, students among our listeners. Uh, is the education uh, only given in Dutch, or do you uh, uh, attract an international audience? There? No, it's uh, it's international because it's uh, I, I mainly teach in a master. Um, so we um, at industrial design in uh, in Delft we have three masters. And I mainly teach in the Design for Interaction Master, um, and that's that's international. So it's uh, everything is taught in English, and uh, we have we have many um, uh, different uh, students from abroad. So it's a very uh, a varied uh, audience, I think. <laughs> mm -hmm. And did she also see uh, Design for Interaction uh, change throughout the years, or it's different? Uh, assignments or different courses um well they they changed a lot in the master now but that's more the uh, structure of it but the, the course are pretty pretty uh, much the same um but what i do see is a change in uh, interest of students so where uh, in the beginning when uh, design for interaction uh, started it was also focused a lot on making uh, cool prototypes with sensors, Arduino, and things like that. And now it's more about what is the impact of my design. And, and that I, I really uh, like it as a change because it also means that uh, students are um, thinking about the meaning of design and the meaning for their uh, user group. So that, that is what I really like about it. And they're still making nice prototypes with Arduino, but it's, that's more that, that's, uh, m uh, becoming a, a skill. And then, uh, yeah, it's not a goal. Let's no, but it used yeah. to be a goal, and and at the moment yeah. it's uh, more something. For example, programming. Like every every student can program. It's a it's a basic skill. It's like InDesign or uh, Photoshop. So that's that's a really big change, and I think that's really nice. And there's also a shift towards service design in the master. So there are more courses about service design. There are more courses about service design together with um, companies. So I think that's also really nice is that they, that students also learn about um, service design and what it is and not only uh, user-centered design. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you find that students are attracted to service design? Um, some and some are not. So it, it really depends on the uh, type of student. Um, but what they, they are all really attracted to um, the design research. So um, talking to people and uh, getting these customer insights and designing based on that. 
And I think that's, that's really mm. nice. But service design sometimes is still a bit complex for students because we're talking about com complex mm. situations. We're talking about complex designs also. Um, so some students, they first need to understand all the, the, the research techniques and the design techniques before they, they can actually also design services, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then it's easier to end with the product. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, Stina and I were sitting here looking at each other. Are you going to ask? Sometimes. We will cut this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I think it was really, really interesting uh, to hear all about uh, your design practice at uh, Musis. Uh, about your teaching at the uh, TU Delft. Um, where can people find more information uh, about Muses or TU Delft? On uh, yeah, they can. So they can look at our website. Um, and there's also, um, if they look on the website of uh, the TU Delft, they can also find uh, things about uh, context mapping, service design. Um, there's also a special website about context mapping if they're more interested in that. Um, and uh, what also might be interesting is that we are working on a, a project uh, with the TU Delft and the Design Academy at the moment. It's called My Futures. Um, and it's about um, designing or um, empowering people um, to design your own future, and especially in relation to um, healthcare. Um, and we are organizing a symposium for that on the uh, 27th of uh, January in, uh, in Delft. And if people are interested, it's free and you only have to register, but it's also on the website of the TU Delft. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting. We'll make sure that, uh, yeah, we'll make sure that the information will also be, uh, included in the small article we will write about the podcast so everyone can easily uh, find it. Yeah, I think that's that's nice. It's also nice for you, Stina, if you're uh, in uh, in Delft. Yes, I will uh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a reason uh, for coming Yeah, to that would be uh, nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, it was, it was great. Uh, great. Talk yeah, it was really nice. Thanks for the opportunity and thanks for the yeah. interview. Yes. Yeah, thanks Thank a lot, you too. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of the Service Design Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, if people want to find out more about the podcast or get in touch with us, where can they find us, Dina? You can find us on servicedesignpodcast.com and you can also join the conversation on our Facebook page. Uh, we'd also like to take the opportunity to let you know about uh, something we've been working on with Night Moves. Um, we developed a workshop card game called Kingdom. Can you tell us a bit more about that, Stina? Yes, Kingdom is a game we are using a lot nowadays in our workshop. It's a a game that makes your workshops more fun, but also more valuable. You get the right output uh, out of your participants. And we are really proud to also share it uh, with you guys. Uh, you can find us on kingdomcards.be. You can check out what it's about. And you can also buy the card game there. And especially for you, our listeners, we made a discount code podcast. If you fill in this code while ordering, you'll get a 10 euro discount. So check out kingdomcards.be if you're interested. 
And don't forget to use the discount code PODCAST if you're interested in buying a packet. You can also join us in Madrid for the Service Design Global Conference on the 2nd and 3rd of November 2017. For more information or to buy tickets, you can visit the SDN website, service-design-network.org. If you're there, come and seek us out. We'd love to meet you guys. The Service Design Podcast was brought to you by the Service Design Network and Night Moves. For more information, previous episodes, or to join the conversation, please visit servicedesignpodcast.com. For more information about the Service Design Network, visit service-design-network.org. And for Night Moves, visit nightmoves.be. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to this podcast. The intro and outro music is from If the Stars Grow Dim Tonight by Hydrogen C, featuring I Will, I Swear. Until next time.